0: Yeah, well, get your answers here then so we can record this thing. Friday, October 5th and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master's student in civil engineering and Don Quixote against exotic paper-nota flavors, and with me today are Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and internet shopping dog owner, and Gordon Derek, mug receiver.
1: So, what's the latest on the. Uh, what is going on with the exotic paper nota flavors first? Wait, of hang all?
2: on, does Gordon not have another job title? Did he get fired from st- Dutch th- news?
0: I, I believe <laughs> <yes. laughs> he does. The puns were after too after much. Yeah, it's after today's pun, uh, yeah.
1: the last straw. Yeah, you've been, I think. Yeah,
0: so we had a couple of weeks ago, we discussed uh, the new exotic flavors of the waffles, yeah. but it emerged that paper nota are also getting more and more ridiculously flavored. So, for example, you now have um, paper nota with stroopwafel flavor. Okay, that one is fine. Is w- it though? What? Well, well, okay, but I like stroopwafels and I like uh, paper nota, so it could be fine. But you also have cappuccino flavored paper nota. That's wrong. That is wrong. Prosecco flavored paper nota. That's nice. just confusing. It yeah. is. And pumpkin spice. Yeah. I mean, paper that's fitting, in. I
2: think. No, I don't no. like
0: paper notes, so I'm not a. Uh, you don't like paper notes? do like paper what notes. What are you? How did a you a get a citizenship? I yeah. don't have citizenship. <laughs> yeah, that's well, the problem. That's <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I was in the baker this morning and uh, I noticed that there's uh, now uh, a company of offering 10 different flavors of pindacas as well. This seems to be the next pindacast. thing. Oh. Yeah. That's
2: been oh. out for a while. We've had but a few know of how,
1: these. But pindacas can only be pindacas flavors. No, no. It can
2: be flavored with a lot of other things. Some of them are kind of tasty. You guys are just like fucking traditionalists, man.
0: <laughs> yes, we are. Just
2: go back to voting yeah. for the SKP and like leave the rest of the world alone because you are like too conservative.
0: <laughs> uh, and Molly, what, what about your Dog. What happened?
2: Uh, yes. My dog uh, apparently has gotten himself a bull.com account and has been ordering himself bones <laughs> off the internet. I came home on Wednesday to a uh, post and all packing slip thing saying, like, you have missed a package and it was delivered to your neighbors. So I go over to my neighbors, and my neighbor says, Yeah, we're not really sure who this box is for, but it's got your house number on it. And I look at it, and the box is addressed to Troubadour, Magma, Tyson, Quell, von Pass, which is my dog's full name <laughs> in his passport. And uh, I'm very confused by this because I did not order anything for the dog. And so I opened it up and what is in the box is an extremely expensive dog bone. <laughs> which, he
0: <laughs> <laughs> which he bought for himself. Which he bought yeah, for himself, yeah. apparently. Would no. it be ironic if your dog had uh, eaten the postal delivery thing. That would have been yeah. extremely yeah. ironic. Yeah. 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 Which but he yeah. does like to do sometimes. Yes. I have had yeah. to go
2: to the coffee shop with a baggie of post and L shredded bits in order to, like, retrieve the package because he does like to shred the little yeah. pieces of paper.
1: Could it be that your dog is hacked into your Wi-Fi? Was he parked in a Citroen C5 outside the door? It is it
2: possible. A... All of these things are possible. But, yeah, he ordered himself a present for uh, Direndach, which was yesterday because ah. he felt he deserved it.
1: I think he did. Yeah. So,
2: speaking of presents, Gordon, you uh you got a present.
1: I got a remarkable uh, present, yeah, which uh, you... Um, Tell us you all about to... your present. Yeah, you were supposed to bring it to my book launch, um but it didn't arrive in time, and uh, now I have this mug. Yes. Uh, which I've just been spending most of this, about half an hour staring at because it's got all kinds of, it's a montage of all kinds of Dutch politicians and public figures. <laughs> and at the
2: moment, uh, Dutch News is running a uh, donations campaign, which we'll tell you a little bit more about later in the mm-hmm. podcast. But we had the idea that perhaps if listeners are interested, we will Photoshop for them
1: that yeah. mug. We will do the mug. If, if you donate a certain amount, which yeah. we haven't, we've, we've only just made this up on the spot, so yeah, we haven't out how much. Yeah. But if you donate a certain amount, we, then we will do you a Photoshop mug. Yeah. But it's yeah. really nice to have.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> um, we'll post a photo of the mug with Gordon on Instagram, and then you guys can let us know if you would be interested in purchasing a mm-hmm. mug uh, to support Dutch News and this podcast, which we assume is your favorite podcast. So, Paul, that brings us to the All Puff of the Week.
0: All Puff of the Week. Everyone's favorite segment. Yes, mine as well. And this week it's about a primary school in Rotterdam where parents leave their children home because they were offended by one of the teacher's artwork. The group 5 teacher is also a part-time artist and on her Facebook page she posted photos of her work which involved Barbie dolls kissing in sexy outfits and in explicit poses. And one of the parents accuses the teacher now of child pornography and demands that the school directors take uh, take action
2: it's not child pornography first of all Barbie is <laughs> <No>. like 50 <laughs> years old yes yes
0: <laughs> over 50. well yeah. over the age of yeah. yeah.
2: I mean I do think it kind of brings up an interesting discussion about like what teachers can do in their like free private life private yeah. life right yeah. I mean yeah. like you, you sort of have this expectation that if you work in I don't know at a bank that like no one really cares if you're making weird explicit Barbie art but like for some reason if you're teaching small children that you can't also want to make weird, explicit yes. Barbie art. Probably.
0: She doesn't bring the Barbie dolls to school or something. No, no. Ex-
2: but presumably, maybe she is friends with some of the parents and stuff on Facebook, which is how they got to this, which I think crosses, kind of does cross like an interesting yeah. line, yeah. right? It yeah. sort of brings up a discussion about Facebook. Yeah,
1: but then Facebook is kind of meant to be used by adults and you're supposed to be you yeah. know, over 13 at least before you're allowed to have an account. Is 13
2: so the appropriate age to witness explicit would Barbie art? I think so. My,
1: my, my son's just 10 13 and I think he, he knows all about that kind of stuff, yeah. so... Why
2: not? He knows all about weird explosive barbies. He doesn't know about weird explosive barbies. No.
0: <laughs> this week we talk about Swarte Piet's cancelled new appearances, Unilever's cancelled new headquarters, and Russia's cancelled new hacking attempt. And in our discussion, we will tell you everything about the man that keeps re emerging in the Dutch media and in prison Willem Holleder. Uh, But the top stories we learned this week, the Dutch military intelligence agents intercepted an
1: attempt by Russia to hack into the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, which is based in The Hague, back in April. The OPCW is involved in the investigations into the poisoning of former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter in the UK back in March, as well as a chemical attack in Douma in Syria. The four Russian agents hired a Citroën C3 car from Skripal airport. Wait,
2: seriously? A Citroën C3?
1: Yeah, I think this is the most encouraging thing in this story is that if Russian military intelligence can only afford a Citroën C3 car, it means one of two things. Either car hire prices at Skripal are scarily high or the Russian state isn't as well resourced as we thought it was. It's possible. The four Russian agents hired a Citroën C3 car from Schiphol Airport, loaded it up with surveillance equipment and parked it at the Marriott Hotel beside the OPCW building, at which point the Dutch military intelligence moved in before they could hack into the system. The men were travelling on diplomatic passports and were identified as IT specialists with the GRU, um, which is the Russian Military Intelligence Division. Defence Minister Anker Beilefeld praised the work of the security services and said the incident sent out a clear message to Russia to stop undermining other countries' security. Prime Minister Mark Rutte issued a joint statement with his British counterpart, Theresa May, condemning what they called Russia's, quote, disregard for global values. Russia dismissed the allegations as fantasies, and said the governments who publicised them were being irresponsible.
0: How can we be sure that these men weren't just on holiday?
1: Yeah, that was a point that uh, was raised on the press conference by Major General Arnold Eicheltheim, who's head of the MFA Day. They could have just been coming to admire the paintings in the Maritz House, or the world-renowned Grote Kerk. Isn't this
2: what they did in uh, the UK, right? Yeah. They were going to see the famed Sainsbury yeah, church, or something. They something. said
1: they had gone all the way to the
0: UK to see Salisbury's Cathedral. Salisbury's yeah. Cathedral, yeah. Which yeah. Is and a, they, had, they had memorized the entire yeah. Wikipedia page of the. Uh, yeah, it's remarkable. It has Which a is spire. what I do when I go to
2: see cathedrals. <laughs> <from our laughs> yeah,
1: well, it has a highest spire of any cathedral in England, so it is quite an exceptional cathedral. There were signs that they might have been on an intelligence mission, such as the fact that they had $20,000 and 20,000 euros in cash um, on them. When I they were just accepted. always
2: carry $20,000. But in you wouldn't in go to the in Netherlands because
1: you pay PIN everywhere. I mean, actually, you have a hard time spending that amount of cash. Yeah. Also, that might explain why they went for the Citroen C3 at the airport. Because uh, it's the only yeah. thing they could afford <laughs> with cash. <laughs> the only they could pay for with cash, yeah. are yeah. <laughs> um, also had a whole load of mobile phones of varying types and sizes. And, um, uh, yeah, the head of the MIFA Day said that uh, that's a very standard thing in intelligence. And he said he has four phones on him at any one time as well.
2: I also have five phones on me at any <laughs> one yeah,
1: time. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I'm
2: just like lugging around. You think yeah. that there's like useful stuff in my bag. It's just a bunch of cash
0: <laughs> and mobile phones. Yeah,
1: and some of the phones have been activated in Moscow the week before, just outside the GRU building. Hmm. Um, so that was a bit of a clue. Also, the men took their rubbish with them when they checked out of the room, which wasn't because they were environmentally conscious, uh, but because they wanted to uh, avoid leaving any trace of themselves
0: behind. Well, and maybe they
2: were just trying to be helpful to the housekeeper, Gordon. Yeah. God, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm siding with Russians on this one. I think none were, of this is suspicious.
0: Or they were trying to hide the fact that they were drinking while working. Yeah, maybe yeah. it was that. That could be a drink on duty. Yeah, which Russians never do. Which
2: Russians would no, never do. No,
1: do that, that would be a sacking offense. But the best detail, I think, is that one of them had a receipt for a taxi fare going from the GRU headquarters to Moscow airport
0: just before they set off. So
2: the thing that's getting them <laughs> is the Bonnachas. It all comes down to the
0: I, I find it very reassuring that the central element of this Story is the fact that they were carrying a bonneture with them. It means yeah. that the Russians are not that different uh, from the Dutch. From the yeah, Dutch,
2: yeah. So. so, Gordon, what uh, what did they find?
0: They also had a laptop with them, and
1: uh, when the Dutch security services looked into it, um, because they had to leave all their stuff behind, because they were ejected from the country. So uh, it revealed they would also gone to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, which uh, obviously is believed to be linked to the Flight MH17 investigations, so There's a suggestion they were hacking into the um, Malaysian prosecution and police services. And they'd also hacked systems in Lausanne in Switzerland, which is the home of the World Anti-Doping Agency. There's a big investigation going on into doping in Russian sport. This hacking, uh,
0: or, or this activity in Lausanne, was uh, carried out in 2016 mm-hmm. and it was also one of the interesting fact that they didn't uh, use a new laptop for every mission they went to They yeah. just used their old Laptop or didn't clean it entirely, so that so uh, the MIVD was able to find all these records from all these places they have ever been to. So, yeah. this was also a very interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. and
1: there's a picture of one of the guys at the um, Olympics in um, uh, in Brazil as well, yeah. uh, clutching a Russian athlete around the waist. Yeah, and it was so on that laptop, on that la- yeah. laptop You just like
2: not empty the recycling bin, <laughs> no, like no, come exactly. on, yeah.
0: they
1: didn't do anything. Yeah. Or always clear your search history. that's you know, yeah. so rule number one, surely.
0: So, on, on the one hand, it is uh, very strange strange that these russian hackers are acting in such an unprofessional manner but on the other hand it's also very worrying worrying that they are they manage to be so successful mm. in so many instances if they are working yeah. so unprofessionally what what does that tell about our capabilities of uh, of, of you know uh, stopping them if they are able to do
1: that. Yeah, exactly. They seem to have got very blasé, and uh, yeah, it seems to have, I think they weren't expecting to get caught at all. They were literally caught red-handed. I think that's why we got this. Um, you know, one of the questions that uh, came up um, on Thursday when all this was exposed is, is why the MFA Day came uh, came out with all this information because obviously there's there's a secret service. Usually you don't see anything yeah. of them, and then suddenly their their you know their head of operations is giving a press conference and appearing on news. One of the things is that they had so much information it made more sense. To actually go public with it, it was always, always more useful to them strategically, I think, to make it public because it makes it harder for Russia to deny these things because Russia always comes out with flat denials yeah. and said, You're making this up. And you say, well you've actually got so much detail, you've actually got them, these people's yeah. passport you know, photographs and their names and. You know, where they've been, details of where they've been, it's much harder to deny.
2: I also think it's it's embarrassing Mm. for Russia. It just makes them look Mm. bad. Like, this is basic IT stuff, right? Like, clearing your, like, Mm. recycling bin (laughs) of your laptop, your browser history, right? Like, it's just, I think it just... Yeah, it's bullying Putin, mostly. But it's Mm. also,
0: it might also be directed to um, politicians and people here in the Netherlands that... Uh, you know do, do not believe necessarily that Russia is a threat or is doing these kind of uh, yeah. things yeah uh, so it could also be uh, directed towards them uh, but the official reason they said during this press conference was because the United States also uh, started a criminal investigation against yeah. seven Russian spies uh, four of them uh, including four of the of the guys who that were caught in the Hague and he said well the, the United States is doing that so we can release this information as well which doesn't make sense no. because why do they yeah. need to release this information if um, if this criminal investigation is going on in the United States, so I no. think these these first two reasons are the yeah. real reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely looks confusing.
1: like yeah, it definitely looks like kind of coordinated information dump, doesn't it? Definitely. And I think yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the, the security services by definition never acting innocence. You know, there's always an agenda uh, going on. I think here it that, that is definitely I think um, by publicizing this and they're they're kind of uh, trying to yeah. Um, substantiate uh, public opinion about, about you know w- w- remind people how Russia behaves um and uh, because you know they, they want to keep the pressure on and uh, you know uh, keep up support
0: for the for the sanctions against Russia yes as, and uh, speaking of this indictment in the U.S., uh, yeah. there were some questions from the U.S. US press uh, to um, the people who were doing the con- press conference in the U.S., I believe it was the uh, attorney general or something, yeah. I wasn't, I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure, they asked him why didn't the Dutch just uh, uh, arrest these, uh, these four men from Russia, and uh, you also saw these questions uh, here in the Netherlands, why mm-hmm. did we... Uh, you know, escort them back to the airport yeah. and put them back on a plane to, to Moscow. Um, but apparently it's, it's, it's a common practice to, to uh, extradite uh, spies that are caught to just ju- uh, kick them out of the country. Yeah,
1: we didn't get a clear answer on that, do we, from our I mean, my instinctive uh, thought of that was, well, they were traveling on diplomatic passports, so it would have been awkward to arrest people who were covered by diplomatic immunity. I mean, Russia could have kicked up a fuss about that. I mean, yeah. there was an incident a couple of years ago when a senior Russian diplomat was arrested in The Hague for beating his wife. And immediately, you know, the, the Russian ambassador kicked up all kinds of a stink about that. So I think that, that was one no, reason. But, but also, also, I think there is a kind this, of this quo yeah. that, that countries don't like to arrest each other's spies. Because then that, that will escalate the situation. And yeah, you know, that yeah. will mean that Dutch spies will start being arrested in, you know, in Moscow and start being uh, un- un- and un- uncovered. But
0: uh, yeah, this, will, this story will uh, will be continued, definitely. I'm yes,
1: sure. yeah, more, more revelations to come, I think.
0: Unilever has announced it has cancelled its plans to move its headquarters from London to Rotterdam. The reason for the cancelled move is the growing number of shareholders that were turning against the move. On Wednesday, Royal London Asset Management became the latest investor to publicly oppose the plan, and according to the Financiele Dagblad, around 12% of Unilever's shares are now against the move. Especially British investors feared that if Unilever pressed ahead with the plan, Unilever's shares could no longer be traded at the London Stock Exchange. Unilever's shareholders would have voted on the plan at the end of October, but uh, that uh, is cancelled now, definitely.
2: Yeah. So, does this move have uh, political consequences, Paul?
0: Yes, definitely, because yeah. the move of Unilever to Rotterdam was a major part of Prime Minister Mark Rutte's defense for his plan to uh, scrap the dividend tax. Um, The plan is obviously very unpopular and controversial because it will cost the Netherlands over 2 billion euros a year basically practically everyone in the country opposes it including except for mark rutte except mm. for mark rutte mm. and uh, yeah well this this includes the coalition parties D66 uh, and CDA however the plan is agreed in the coalition agreement so it will be carried out anyway but mark rutte always said that uh, it's not something he loves to do but uh, it's necessary to improve the dutch business climate and as an example he always said the unilever is coming to the netherlands so it works mm. Mm. But now uh, Unilever canceled this, uh, this plan, so yeah, this will uh, definitely uh, be continued for, uh, for Rutte as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe
2: it'll put some pressure on him yeah. so to drop the whole thing. It yeah.
0: could also be a blessing in disguise for him.
1: Yeah. It, we, we could give him a way out of this yeah. uh, AC yeah. Definitely. We can retreat with, with dignity.
2: It's that time of year. Summer is over. The cold weather has arrived. And it's time for more debate about Pete. Dutch public broadcaster NT Air announced that the PEETs arriving alongside Sinterklaas this year will not be black, but will instead be sooty. Quote, the NTR respects both tradition and change, but it is our public duty as an independent public broadcaster to reflect these changes in society, the public broadcaster said on Wednesday. We've been having this argument more times than I want to count on this podcast. Unsurprisingly, this move caused a lot of upheav, so much upheav, that the uh, NTR reversed its course this morning and has said that the PEETs, in fact, will be black.
0: But yeah, but they will be partly black and partly.
2: Parts, well, yeah. the justification for this that they gave <clears throat> is that, and I quote. <laughs> Pete's who go down the chimney a lot will have an awful lot of soot on their faces and that means they will be very black to totally black
1: and yet mysteriously their costumes will be completely untouched and their lips will get redder as and well. their, uh, yeah. their hair will the get hair curlier, will curlier. and they'll <laughs> somehow <laughs> like, Duk- all have
2: pierced earrings the Duk- Dutch d- chimneys
1: are strange <laughs> <Just some laughs> magical yeah. places yeah, yeah. Yeah, magical realms <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's it, I, I just find it bizarre that we just keep keep we, we can't resolve this argument I have to
0: say when we had in Wednesday this announcement I didn't think there was that much opposition. No, it it seemed like everybody yeah. was was kind of agreeing with it yeah. or at least uh, accepting it. Yeah. Um, apart from, of course, uh, a couple of um, enthusiastic yeah. sort of supporters. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, in general it was it was widely accepted. So uh, that they are now um, you know uh, uh, reversing this decision um, it's a bit of a missed opportunity, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. I kind of think that a lot of people are just wary of this argument now. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think so people want to talk about it anymore. Basically. No, they're, they're fed up with it. And aside from a, a few. Really hardline activists on both sides of the debate. People just want want it to be over and yeah. and, and just want a you know nice home children. They really don't care what colour uh, no. Peter be as long as you still and the kids as well. They just want they just want to, to chuck sweets at them. And I kind of think that what's um, uh, driven the change more than anything is not really politicians or activists or angry people on Twitter. It's the supermarkets. Every time you go into Jumbo or Albert Heijn in November, you find that Peter's slightly changed and he's a bit less racist. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and and thats kind of how it's um, yeah. Yeah, well, th- which evolved. comes down to capitalism, yeah, exactly. Right? Because yeah. like there's it's the a growing demand, but that tells you that actually within the kind of you know uh, the community, although people a lot of people just can't be bothered to get into the debate, People yeah. just quietly, it just, just you know are quite happy to see the tradition evolve. Yeah. Yeah. They're not bothered, but they're not—they're not offended by it. A children's crash in Almira is taking legal action against Infrastructure Minister Koer van Neuhauser over the decision to ban electric wagons from the roads. The government banned the vehicles after four children died when one of them was hit by a train in Oss two weeks ago. A safety inspection revealed technical flaws that could stop the brakes working. A lawyer for a Kinderstraatje daycare facility said the minister's decision was not supported by evidence and created extra costs for care providers. The manufacturer of the stint also said the decision was premature, but the company has not decided yet whether to go to court.
0: Have uh, any other incidents come to light? Uh,
1: yes, including at least since the um, uh, fatal crash uh, it's emerged that there are at least two incidents where the stints failed near railway crossings, and there's been some suggestion that maybe the electromagnetic field on a railway line might interfere with the vehicle's uh, mechanisms, but that's still being investigated. Uh, in another incident, a child was concussed when a stint hit a closed garage door, and in Harlem, a stint full of children collided with an elderly man. I
2: mean... Do we have a sense of, I mean, I have not seen any data on this, but, like, how much more dangerous these stints are than, like, other methods of transporting children? I mean, like, Oh, I you know, guess that
1: taking them by car is a lot more dangerous. Yeah, uh, or even, starters.
2: like, by box, Like brakes yeah. can fail on, like, uh. a just a regular Bach feats, right? Like, people yeah. cannot pay attention. I mean, bikes can't interact, these sorts of that things. That
0: was uh, exactly the point of the manufacturer of the stint. Uh, he said uh yeah, banning them completely now um, um doesn't make sense because bug feature you also have accidents with them. Yeah. And perhaps even more than with uh than with stints. Yeah. Um yeah, so I I haven't seen data on it as well, but uh if you if you're going to ban everything um uh where you have an excellent it. Just make all the kids live in a bubble. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. There's not a permanent ban, is it? I mean, it's only a ban while they're currently in the investigating, so it might be that they come back to the report that says, you know, you just make, have to make a few technical adjustments and then it's, they can go back on the bus again. Yeah. yeah.
2: The man convicted of killing populist politician Pim Fortine in 2002 has reached a deal with the probation services which will allow him to emigrate to another country. Volker van der Graaf went to court in May, saying the requirement to report to the authorities every six weeks was making it impossible for him to immigrate. The 48-year-old said earlier that he wants to start a new life in Germany. Van der Graf, an animal rights activist, was freed in May 2014 under strict conditions, having served two-thirds of an 18-year sentence. He had shot dead for in a car park in Hilversum as he left a recording studio nine days before the 2002 general election. So what do we think? Should we, he be allowed to immigrate?
0: I think that uh, that would be better for him and also for the country. Yeah, yeah so, I don't see yes. why not at all. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, and it's kind of weird. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people uh, making fuss about this when you know d- 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 saying he shouldn't have the right to leave the country and think. him here. I think they would yeah. have criticised everything we've done, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: whatever he, he wants or desires. Yeah, that, that is criticized I think yeah, that's the he, thing. The, the idea of letting him have what he wants. So that yeah.
1: somehow, some people just c- can't get their head around that. But, but I,
2: I mean, I also feel like like you don't want him to move into the house next to you, right? Like, so you don't really want him to be here, like, it's almost better, right, if he can go somewhere where he is, like, not nearly as known and can maybe, like, have a chance of...
0: Yeah, I remember Ophef when he was uh, released from prison in 2014, he um, he went to live in Apeldoorn. Yeah. The mayor mm. had given permission for that, and when that, you know, was revealed to, to the press, uh, there was a lot of Ophef among the people yeah. of Apeldoorn because they didn't want him, want him uh, mm. live nearby. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, as you say, uh, wherever he's going to live in the yeah. Netherlands, yeah. Uh, you will always have these uh, situations.
1: Sports news now Ajax earned plenty of praise for their one all draw at Bayern Munich in the Champions League on Tuesday. Right back Nussa Mazraoui fired home the equaliser in the 22nd minute after Matt Hummels had given the Germans an early lead. Ajax coach Erik Ten Hag said his side should have won the game, and most of the newspapers agreed. De Kant described Ajax's players as a mix of quote, flair, technical ability, daring, and self-confidence, and said the winning goal was a throwback to the days of total football. The suit Zeitung in Munich also said Ajax deserved to win, and suggested Bayern had paid the price for relying on an ageing squad. Nine of their players, including Arjen Robben, appeared in the Champions League final in 2013.
2: Can we talk about the only thing I actually want to talk about in football? No It was Dick birthday yeah. last week. <laughs> it was. And yeah. he got a card from the referee. He right. got, yeah. yeah. He, got, he got
1: sent to the stands during the game. Yeah. Um, was it literally was was it it on his birthday? It was. It was no, birthday was actually, oh, uh, his his birthday. Was actually last Thursday. He yeah. shares a birthday with one of my children, ah. which is uh, well, uh, was that an honor Jordan? for one of my children. Yeah. It, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> <laughs>. No comment. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully the other person involved is no longer around to <laughs> to, uh, to comment <laughs> to on to reveal yeah. exactly what the decision was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and because we are in the Netherlands, we have to congratulate everyone with the birthday or yeah. right. the cake. Indeed, gefeliciteerd, Paul. Gefeliciteerd, Paul. Gefeliciteerd, Molly.
1: Yeah. Thank <Okay>. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so yeah. And did I got a yellow card from referee during your game? Yeah. Uh,
2: and it's I think it was it's very touching. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: So, uh, Gordon, there's other sports stuff, stickball, sport, thingy Uh
1: Yeah, there's another f- f- club involved in the Champions League, PSV Eindhoven. Um, they lost 2-1 at home to Inter Milan, but uh, they also got a lot of praise for their performance, um, uh, including going ahead with a fine strike by Pablo Rosario. Uh, the winning goal was a mistake by goalkeeper Jeroen Sut, sadly, and it means PSV are still searching for their first point in the Champions League. They've lost to Barcelona, um, they've now lost to Inter Milan, and their next game is against Tottenham, so a tricky task for them. Um the ne- uh, next next round of match Toronto on the 23rd and also good luck to the Dutch women's team who tonight are playing the first leg of their um World Cup playoff against Denmark. Well good luck André. to them. Good luck to so, them. Yeah, good luck to them. Playoff semi-final. It's a repeat of the
0: uh, European Championship final last year which the Dutch won. In more bonnages news, two Dutch members of the European Parliament are proposing a motion to make EU expenses claims public. Every month MEPs may claim €4,416 in expenses on top of their salary. Attempts by journalists to make these claims open failed last month in the uh, European Court of Justice due to privacy reasons. However, Gerben-Jan Gerbrandy of D66 and Dennis de Jong of SP do believe more transparency is needed and they will propose a motion for publishing all MEP's expenses online. The Bureau, which deals with day-to-day administration of the European Parliament, also ruled this summer that more transparency is impractical. It also says that putting all receipts from all 751 MEPs online would require 7 people working full-time, but Gerbrandi says that's exaggerated and that the motion would be about accounting for big claims rather than cups of coffee. Deze and SP expect to have a majority in favor of their proposal. The Bureau will have to come up with a plan that works so that everybody can have insight in how many expenses are claimed by their MAPs, according to Gebrandi.
2: I mean, to, to, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know well that I care.
0: You don't? I mean, I mean 4,400 and uh, whatever I euros is quite a lot of money. It for is quite a lot of money, e-board. although I
2: do wonder like, what exactly gets to be covered in that money, because it could... Everything. Yeah, but, like, what, I mean... We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, so, so, I mean, I don't think that 4,000 4, euros might not be... I mean, if you are if you travel twice a month, right, like, that's probably going to yeah. eat up a real decent chunk of that, like, very quickly. Well, and European
1: politicians do travel a lot. Yeah, right, so, I to get back home I mean, it. I
2: don't think it sounds... I think it sounds like a lot of money because, sure, like, I'd also love to be able to claim 4,000 euros in expenses, but not if I have to go back and forth to, like... Brussels three times a week, like, for the next month and a half.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I also find it interesting that uh, the De 60 MEP says that uh, it's only for big expenses and not for cups of coffee, but the the, the whole point of, of having all the expenses open to the public is that you can see everything yes yeah. yeah. But there. also,
2: and then it creates this weird, I mean, this is what always happens, right, when you have some sort of cap on. So if you work for a big institution and there is, like, you know, a big public institution and for, like, expenses over 5,000 euros, right, you have to get, like, approval. It has to be announced to the public, right? You have a lot of expenses that come in at 4,900 euros, right? Mm -hmm. Because people sort of – so if you say, like, yeah, we only care about things that are more than 100 euros, well, you know, if the MP come in at 99 – Yeah. I mean, I think make the expenses accessible to like journalists who can dig through yeah. this nonsense and put it into some kind of context, right? Because I think that like to a lot of people, the idea that you're going to spend 2,000 euros a month on hotel rooms seems like a lot of money. Most mm. of us do not spend that much money on hotel rooms, right? And then yeah. you're like, well, this is my tax but dollars. But most of us blah, don't blah, work blah, away blah. from home
1: that uh, as much as MEP, MEPs do.
2: Right, but I, I at least have some faith that if you had like journalists putting this together, they could at least make a more interesting comparison to say like, well, you know, Paul, the MP from Belgium, is spending you know all of his money at five-star hotels. Why do I come
0: from Belgium? <laughs> because you're
2: <laughs> one-quarter Flemish, Paul. We know this. Whereas like Gordon, the MP from Scotland, is spending you know all of his you know f- the same amount of money, but you know he's traveling much more and spending them more on like budget hotels, and so like yeah, it's I'm maybe up, not as outrageous. i get up to
1: places like Shetland, which cost an absolute fortune. Right, China, exactly.
2: Yeah. So yeah,
1: but, but now, now I'm kind of in favour of uh, the, yeah, the principle of making these things public. I mean, MEPs yeah. are yeah, the the, the they're, they're elected by the people; they, they should be accountable. Yeah. And uh, I think it would probably uh, I don't know we, we don't know how much excess there yeah. is, but I think if they, it would cut out a lot of it if they knew that uh, their claims could be scrutinized by, by anybody.
0: We'll be discussing the most notorious criminal in the Netherlands, Willem Holleder, after these words from our sponsors. This is a weird commercial. Is it even a commercial? It's a commercial to ask for
1: more commercials.
2: Not commercials, just money. Money is pretty great. Yes, and we need some. Dutchnews.nl is independent and receives no state or other funding. We work with professional journalists, translators, and photo agencies who understand the Netherlands well, and all of this comes at a price.
1: And flavored waffles are a pretty big line item in our budget as well.
0: So how can people support Gordon's stroopwafel addiction?
1: And not just mine, I should add.
2: It's mostly yeah.
1: It is mostly mine.
2: Yeah. You can donate via Ideal credit card or PayPal at dutchnews.nl forward slash donate Dutch dutchnews We will link to that in the liner notes. You can donate any amount you want, but of course more is uh, better.
0: And if every single one of our listeners donate €5, Euros, we've had enough to cover this podcast expenses for an entire year. Well, even the strobe waffles? Even the strobe waffles. The UK has the craze, the United States has the Capone Gang, but the Netherlands has Willem Holleder, the country's most notorious gangster. Ever since 1983, practically not a week has passed where he wasn't in the news. This week was no exception as his trial in the high security court in Amsterdam, nicknamed The Bunker, in which he is accused of ordering the killing of seven men, continued. We thought, let's tell you more about Willem Holleder and his history.
2: Who is Willem Holader? For the people you, who do not no, know. For the
0: few people who... For anyone who's like in. just landed yeah. in
2: the country like 20 yeah. minutes ago. For,
0: for, to be fair, for lots of people who see his name in the papers the whole time and think, why on earth is this guy a public yeah. figure? Yeah. Well, Willem Holleder became instantly known by everyone when he kidnapped the owner and CEO of Heineken, who is one of the Netherlands' richest men. Freddy Heineken uh, and his chauffeur in 1983. Uh, they demanded 35 million guilders, which was the uh, currency of the yes. Netherlands at that time. And as you can imagine, at that time, the kidnapping was all over the media. The kidnappers uh, communicated through newspapers' advertisements with coded messages, for example. Uh, the ransom money had to be delivered to them by means of a trail hunt. Uh, they delivered all sorts of hints to where the next uh, location uh, was going to be. And the money was also buried. Yeah. In, uh, and they didn't get it all, did they? They only got about, th- I think, a third of the total sum, the sum yeah someone was recovered so, yeah. by the police. Yeah. Um, enough elements to write a book about this, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, dozens of books are published about the Heineken kidnapping. And uh, some of the best crime reporters we have today, such as Peter Erde Vries and John van der Heuvel, started their careers with uh, fascination about Holleder and the Heineken kidnapping. Yeah, and
1: he's gone on for 30 years. And then there was a whole episode as well after they were... Heineken was freed. Heineken was, yeah, Heineke was freed, but uh, yeah. they, they didn't release him. The police actually tracked down the location. So just was they were about to release him, they got the money. But then they actually the kidnapping was sprung and two of the kidnappers were busted at the site. The other three fled. And they, they fled to France. And that began a sort of big game of cat and mouse with the police. And this is my favorite part of the story. Exactly, it's my favorite part of the story as well, I think. Because it has
2: to do with uh, the fact that, apparently, France had some antiquated laws about extradition in which you could not be extradited for...
0: The law dated back, or the treaty, the Dutch uh, uh, Franco Treaty dated back from 1813-something, and Mm. it didn't include uh, blackmail or kidnapping. Kidnapping. So uh, the kidnappers and the blackmailers couldn't be extradited from France, France. to yeah. the Netherlands. So
2: in an order to, like, get them to do this, the French government got them involved in this weird scheme where they were, like, flown to an island in the Caribbean, which they yeah. figured out, Hull later, and the other two men, figured out that this was, like, a ploy to get them out <laughs> of the boundaries of France mm. so they could be arrested in a country that would extradite them, and then they refused to get off the plane. Yeah. It's a crazy story. Yeah, and no, I
1: think they were flown to the French Caribbean territories because yeah. there's lots of places in the Caribbean where French and Dutch... Um, territories uh, border each other. Yeah. So, they, what they were, the, the plan was to get the plane to land in Dutch territory and then to sort of sneak them off the plane because the kidnappers got wind of this and oh. refused to get off. Mm. And then they were stuck. In uh, was it Saint Martin? Was, it one, it was Saint Martin? Martin yeah. it is the Saint Martin cluster of islands, and they, they actually hold up on this uh, on this island on a boat. I think I'm mean, on a boat moored off an island. <laughs> yeah. And this one was the islanders were then absolutely up in arms about this because they were saying, you know, why 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 are you colonial powers dumping your criminals
0: on us again? We thought
1: this was over.
2: <laughs> Which is a valid point. <laughs> yeah.
1: And
0: then this boat, they were put on a boat because they were afraid the the islanders would would, would hurt them. Yeah. But they uh, so they had this boat just are, are from the shore of Saint Martin. They had to stay there. It's yeah. totally and then crazy. Then they were flown back yes. to Paris, and that's also an interesting part. Yeah, because then they ended up back in Paris,
1: and they're actually in a hotel. I think it was the Ibis Hotel, from memory. And so the kidnappers were in the hotel. The French authorities, the local authorities, basically said, you're not allowed to leave the hotel. They didn't have any ID with them. So if they'd stepped out of the hotel, they'd been arrested under French local laws. So they were trapped in the hotel. Uh, a load of journalists then moved into the hotel because although, you know, the kidnappers are in there, it was still working as a hotel, so a lot of Dutch journalists and the kidnappers were all holed up together in this hotel. And this is the point at which Peter Ehr de Vries, I think, did the deal to write the book with Cor van Hout, because so, they had nothing else to do, you know, so the, the journalists, were just, the, the kidnappers were in the hotel couldn't leave and the journalists were just sitting there writing about them. And Freddie Heineken posted a bodyguard on the street outside the hotel to make sure they didn't just try and escape. So effectively they, they completely turned the tables, the kidnappers were now trapped in the hotel with Heineken. Bodyguard,
0: making sure they didn't leave.
2: Yeah. This story is so crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so
1: crazy.
0: And eventually, the the Netherlands had to, uh, you know, renegotiate the the extradition treaty with uh, with France, and uh, everything was sorted out. It took some time, but eventually, Wolayder was convicted and uh, sent to prison. But he was uh, released in 1992, and after that, it was pretty quiet for a couple of a uh, couple of years around Wolayder. Uh, but in the meantime, he was uh, making his career in the Amsterdam underworld. He came back into spotlight in 2002 when John Mierenmet, which is also a name for your That's list, I'm sure, uh, Molly, um, a criminal opponent of Holleder, gave an interview to The Telegraaf in which uh, Mierenmet accused uh, Holleder of uh, extorting business people, including uh, real estate developer Willem Enstra. And in 2004, Enstra was murdered in the streets of Amsterdam. And following his death, all sorts of uh, secret tapes and uh, diaries and statements uh, emerged in the media. Um, which confirmed the idea that he was extorted by Willem Holleder for 17 million euros. And in a highly reported uh, trial full of insane plot twists, uh, which we don't have time yeah. to, uh, to, to to cover all, uh, Holleder was again convicted uh, for nine years for extortion.
1: Yeah, and John Miramet is another of the people who was executed allegedly on the orders of uh, Willem Holleder.
2: So how did like Holleder become such a cult figure in the Netherlands?
0: Well... He was released from prison in 2012 and, well, it was very curious to see what, what happened because, you know, everybody knew what Holader had done and that was a very serious criminal. Um, but all of a the sudden there was this weird excitement around him. Uh, we saw all these photos of him driving around Amsterdam in, on a scooter, for example. Uh, all sorts of celebrities took selfies with him in the streets of Amsterdam. It was a really weird uh, atmosphere around him. Hollede was asked to write a weekly column in a magazine and he was interviewed by Twan House in a show called uh, Collegiatour in which uh, students can ask uh, all sorts of high profile guests uh, such as the Dalai Lama and Bill Gates and now also mm-hmm. Willem Hollede uh, all sorts of questions. So it was a really weird yeah. Thing and it was also very criticized by some, and others were like, Yeah, but he's famous. and yeah. you know, we'll The interesting be- thing was, no one could take their eyes
1: off it, you know, everyone was oh. actually gripped by this, whether they approved or disapproved. Do we think this is kind of a deliberate kind of
0: strategy by Holiday to become a public figure, or did it kind no, of happen we, by accident? I think it happened by accident, yeah. he fully embraced it later, I mm. think. But initially, it was it just happened. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he
2: has this sort of cultivated this kind of persona of being like a gentleman's criminal, right? I mm. think there's like always this kind of like fascination with underworld people who like don't like live by some sort of code, right? That yeah. like there's like just plenty, in the yeah, media and there was and also an element of he's
0: from the Jordaan, which yeah. is, a, is which is a neighborhood in in Amsterdam, a folks and, yeah. and just a very work, working class yeah. area. Obviously, everyone and you had the Heineken factory around the corner, and a lot of people in Jordaan worked heineken yeah. including hollywood's father yeah and i think there's also a sort of duma normal and yeah. mm. what we, all, we what we all like in the netherlands we don't like our king to be the yeah. the jet set person but we also mm. like our criminals to yeah. be a bit normal down yeah. to earth and mm. i think he What's a typical example yeah. of that? Yeah. yeah. And he's
2: sort I mean, he is kind of charming in a way, especially if you watch earlier interviews with him, right? That like he's kind of, he's very sort of charismatic. He seems kind of like a likable guy. Like if you got into a conversation with him in a bar, right? I think it would be like kind of like entertaining if you had no idea that yeah. he was like basically a serial killer. Like, Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah and there's, a, I think there is this kind of thing that you mentioned about uh, the kind of code of honor among thieves. You know, yeah. Th- th- that was a, a feature of the, the craze. You mentioned the craze in, in London, which were criminals in the 60s. And that was always a thing that was said about and that you know, they, they only ever killed their own sort. Yeah, and, uh, yeah they, which they is they a bit of the same with Al, Al Capone, right? Which yeah. is
2: like the sort of US version of this, where mm. it was like, you know, he was a charming guy and sort of yeah. treated women and children very well. Exactly, yeah,
1: they always hand out sweets to children yeah. and be, you know, give, give flowers to women and be very yeah. sort of charming and charismatic, yeah. you know. And there was also a cover for the fact that, you know, they're also uh, ordering these brutal killings and uh, extorting people. Right. Yeah. But this
0: all changed when uh, his sister, Astrid Holader, published a book called Judas, Uh, and in her memoirs uh, she described uh, in detail her life in the shadow of her brother and it really described the awful image full of chaos and violence and mm. murder and uh, it really uh, changed the, uh, the, the the impression people had of, of Willem Hall later. They really saw him now as a as a beast, as a terrible human being. Um, half a million copies were sold in the first year and I believe it's also being translated uh, in the English now. I was going say now. it's now
2: translated into English yep. so you can read a copy of so it. Right you can here. read a copy yeah, of it.
0: it. it English translation that was published I think in July
1: or August and there was a big uh, feature in uh, the, New the New Yorker as well. But which interesting, yeah, but which the, was an
2: interesting article. We should link to it in the liner notes because mm. I read it and it was a really interesting take. The journalist who wrote it is like not uh, really affiliated like with the Netherlands and so it was kind of interesting to sort of see this like very outsider perspective on like mm. how Astrid Holleder like sort of goes about her day and so it was, I think it's a really really good read mm. if you have any interest yeah. in this at all. Yeah.
1: We should say as well, what was Astrid Hollader's motivation for writing this book and publishing all this material about her brother and her family secrets?
2: I mean I think, mm. I th- I was under the impression, I don't know if this is completely accurate, but basically it was sort of like a protection mechanism, yeah. right? Was Which was basically that, like, she was going to put all this stuff out there because she was afraid that her brother was going to, like, kill her. I mean, he's also stands accused yeah. of, or is alleged to have accused, like, the sister's, her, the other sister's husbands. Like, that was, like, an allegation. So it seems like he doesn't have so much, you know, sort of loyalty to mm-hmm. family that he's not willing to kind of take out yeah. his own brother-in-law. So I think that, like, she was afraid. And so she put this book out right. there as a way of... Because that's, protect because
0: that's why he's now in court and uh, we see all these articles about mm. him emerging because he's now in court for ordering the killing of six men yeah. um, during his uh, um, career as a criminal yeah. and one of these men as we said was Cor van Hout and Cor van Hout was a lifelong friend of uh, Willem Holleder the man with whom he kidnapped Freddie Heineke, and it was the husband of his sister, yeah. which makes it even more b- bizarre, I yeah. guess. And the Open by Ministerie really worked in silence and under the radar in building this case because nobody had an idea that they were going to do this until, yeah. I th- believe, a year ago yeah. or two years ago when, when Willem Holley all of a sudden had to appear in court for ordering these six murders. Because, yes, before she wrote the book, I said first of all, um, decided to
1: cooperate with the prosecution service. And mm-hmm. the other decision she took, because she got a very strong suspicion or became aware that uh, Holliday was planning to um, assassinate uh, his um, at least one of his sisters. Yeah. Uh, probably his sister, Sonia, who was married to Korfan Hout and obviously inherited all
0: his money when, when he was killed. And that's so, what makes this yeah. uh, trial so, so much more sensational, because his yeah. sisters are... Uh, testifying against him, mm-hmm. and they release all these details about their lives, their personal lives, their history. Uh, so we in a weird way we get to know the man Willem Holleder yeah. more and more and his sisters they, they picture a brutal image of of, uh, of Willem Holleder his sister Sonja recorded a lot of conversations she had with Willem Holleder and you can hear him yelling at her and and calling her the most yeah. name. her it's yeah. really awful mm. yeah. it's, it's, it's really awful and the uh, sisters they gave long uh, statements to the police and uh, they they described that that uh, their brother made their lives a living hell and it also you know, shows the explosive nature of Willem Holleder. Yeah, yeah th- I th- think a charming man on the outside, but but mm. really angry yeah. and a beast on the inside. Yeah, I mean, wh- what kind
1: of uh, is interested me about the whole Holleder, trial of Holleder saga, is the fact that it has just become this kind of you know soap, national soap opera for 30 yeah. years, and has yeah. been, you know, why are people so interested in these these criminals and these low lives. I think it part is partly because it's a family saga, and you can see, you know... Uh, how, you know, um, Willem Holliday's behavior has been a completely dominant figure within his own family and has, you know, uh, well, we only have Astrid's word for a lot of this, but has ruined their lives and, you know, really compromised any kind of ambitions they had for themselves. I mean, Astrid Holliday is now a best-selling writer, but also someone who has to live in hiding and go out in disguise because she fears for her life. Yeah. But
0: what are we learning in court
1: about why Holleder wants to kill Cor van Hout, who is his old school friend?
0: Well, uh, apparently, or at least that's the theory, Holleder ordered the murder of Cor van Hout uh, to secure uh, van Hout's part of the ransom from the Heinke kidnapping. Apparently that money was invested in brothels in in Alkmaar. Uh, but as we said, Van Hout was married to one of uh, Holleder's sisters. And Holleder in turn says that it was... Uh, his sister's plan to secure this money, and uh, when this failed, this plan failed. She struck a deal with the Openbaar Ministerie and came up with uh, with the plan to uh, shed this uh, bad light uh, over over Willem Holleder. Um, but if Holleeder gets convicted, it would be a big win for the public prosecutor. Um, not only because Holleeder, you know, has this long list of criminal activities for which he could not be uh, convicted, but also because the Openbaar Ministerie has been waging a war against the underworld in Amsterdam for a couple of decades now. And uh, if they finally manage to uh, to get Holleeder convicted and finally put him in, into jail, their mission has uh, has succeeded.
1: I think that's a big part of the, the, the the whole story as well. That the public prosecution department. Feels like they really want to get this as a kind of almost a personal victory against Holliday because he's had this high profile for 30 years, he's been almost a celebrity at times and he's outsm- managed to outsmart them, not all the times, he has been in prison but they sort of feel like they, they really want to settle scores with him and they said I think in the opening statements to the court that they wanted to show, expose William Holliday as not um, some kind of you know, charming master criminal but just a,
0: just a common blackmailer. Yeah, but it must be very frustrating for the OM uh, Holliday has mm. you know, uh, uh, blackmailed Dozens of, of, of businessmen in Amsterdam, and he only managed to get him convicted for one, uh, for blackmailing one person. So there's this whole list of things that he'd done, and uh, he, he got away with it basically. Yeah. He, he, as you said, he's been in jail, but only for just uh, just some breadcrumbs of what he has actually mm-hmm. been doing. And especially when, when it came out that uh, his sisters would testify, you know, you had big lines uh, of people waiting outside the courthouse, mm. wanting to, to yeah. be... people queuing at like six in the morning to get yeah. it. I think for the first day of Asher's testimony, there were even people who queued
1: overnight yeah. to get it. And, and hardly any of them got seats, because I've been down there, it's a tiny courtroom, you know, there's hardly any public spaces, and most of it is taken up by journalists with, yeah. their, with their laptops. And what they've actually ended up doing, is I think that they've now put up a screen in another courtroom in Amsterdam, so that people can
0: watch the trial on <laughs> TV. TV. Maybe the they should room. have hired a cinema or something. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Practically yeah. could. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, uh, Dutch News will uh, update you uh, more on the developments in this uh, Willem Holleder trial. And uh, if you are uh, interested and you like these kind of discussions about you know, stories that happened in the Netherlands, then send us an email, uh, perhaps something you want to know more about. You can, uh, you can send an email to us and uh, we can dig into that. Yeah, there's
2: been some discussion amongst us about doing a uh, spin-off sort of podcast where we just kind of cover these weird bits of Dutch Dutch history and mm. Dutch politics and Dutch current events. So if that's a thing you're interested in, or a mug if you're interested in that, <laughs> send us an email, podcast.dutchnews.nl, yeah. or harass any of the three of us on Twitter.
1: Yeah. Or send us a donation, even better. Yeah, yeah. basically, really please
2: send us some money. Yeah. That that yeah. would be great. Please yeah. buy uh, some stroke waffles for Gordon. He, is, he seems yeah. to be Jones. I'm getting hungry. <laughs>
0: Well, that's all we have uh, for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leaving us a rating and a donation. My thanks to Gordon, Derek and Molly Quell, I'm Paul Peters, and we'll be back next week.